there's no doubt that when somebody doesn't lose as much weight as we would like, the surgery has failed them to some extent. It's not right. really, yeah, I don't think blaming the patient is the right way to go about it. Welcome to the Regain Begun podcast, where it's all about keeping weight regain at bay, overcoming setbacks, and getting real support after bariatric surgery. Here's your host, best-selling author, registered dietitian, and physician's assistant, Samira Khan. Welcome to the Regain Be Gone podcast. I'm your host, Samira Khan. And today I have Dr. Richardson from Ashner. He's the program director at Ashner Surgical Weight Loss Program. He's also the section head for general and laparoscopic surgery. He graduated from Harvard University Medical School and also did his fellowship in minimally invasive surgery at Emory. Since 1997, he's been at Ashner. So today, I'm really, really excited to have him on. So welcome, Dr. Richardson. Having me. All right. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the field of bariatric surgery. Well, it's uh, kind of a little bit circuitous, I guess. When I did my fellowship, bariatric surgery was not part of training, but I did do a lot of other things. And once bariatric surgery became more of a laparoscopic procedure in the late 90s and early 2000s and became very successful. It's something that I wanted to bring into my practice. Okay. And what percentage of patients do you see regain weight after bariatric surgery? There's a number of ways to answer that. So when we're talking about regaining weight, most people with after bariatric surgery, say a sleeve or a bypass, lose most of their weight in about a year. Okay. After that, they regain a little bit. Um, and what I think happens is that the bariatric surgery gives them a new set point right. uh, for what they want their, their body wants their weight to be, and they overshoot it a little bit, and then they come back to the set point that the body wants them at. So they generally gain, say, maybe if they were to lose 110 pounds, they would generally gain around 10 pounds around that time. And then hopefully they sort of settle in but most people regain weight every year. So what happens after that is what rate their body tries to get them to regain every year after that. So what we would consider a success overall might be uh, maybe a 50% excess body weight loss. What will happen is if, if the surgery has worked well with them, then they okay. might gain that kind of weight loss. Uh, but there are other patients that are going to regain weight at different rates some of which might be actually relively normal weight gains of a few pounds a year. Oh, really? Okay. So it might be abnormal where they're gaining more weight than you would like every year. Is there a number to that? Like how many pounds? It varies, right? You cannot just put a number to it. No. And then there are also things that happen to people where something really bad might happen in their lives and they regain weight because of that happening. Sort of different paths that people take afterwards. And I think we need to think about that when we're deciding on a treatment plan for it. Okay. And can you explain what set point means? Well, your body tends to try to force you to be a certain weight. And we call that the set point. And it's in our brains where that's set. 
And if we go below that weight, our body tries to force us to, to eat more, to gain weight, to get up to that point. And when we get over that point, we feel really, really full and we start losing weight to get back to that point. Okay. In general, if we push ourselves to eat more all the time, we will change that to a higher weight. Uh, and in general, I'd say every year, people generally gain a little weight every year. So the body set point does change from year to year. It's not necessarily set in stone. So does weight regain after surgery depend on the procedure? Do you see a difference in weight regain between the different procedures like the gastric sleeve versus the bypass? I, I believe so. I know that that's a little bit controversial. And some people, have, some papers have come out to show that it's relatively similar. But judging from the patients that I see here, I think a little bit more weight is lost and kept off of the bypass than the sleeve. It's not okay. very much, maybe. So that I would say the average sleeve loses 50 to 60% of their excess body weight. Uh, and then with the bypass, it's 60 to 70%. But it's not maybe a huge difference. I think where, we, where I personally see a little more difference, again, somewhat controversial in the literature, is that the comorbidities tend to go away a little bit better with the bypass than the sleeve. I think part of the reason it's a little bit better uh, with the bypass is, is in part because it's a combination procedure. You're doing two different things to try and gain weight loss. Okay. And, and some people get some pretty significant dumping after that gastric bypass, which we don't see with the sleeve, which I, for most patients kind of helps protect them from, from regaining weight. Okay. Uh, if someone suffers from acid reflux already and they have the sleeve, does it aggravate it in the beginning or to a certain extent? Do we need to do revisional surgery after that? Yeah. So people can get worsened reflux after a sleeve gastrectomy. Why is that? The mechanism of that is not well known. Okay. I would counsel somebody, particularly if they're requiring to take a proton pump inhibitor every day, that potentially a sleeve would be worse than a bypass because a bypass is known to be generally very well protective of reflux, 99% improvement in reflux symptoms with a gastric bypass. Okay. Uh, part of that might be because the stomach in a sleeve has the pylorus muscle at the end, so that pressure of the intragastric fluid is a little bit elevated relative to the rest of the abdominal cavity. And maybe that helps when somebody who's got a bad valve uh, between the swallowing tube and stomach where they, the valve doesn't work well and it allows flux, okay. that maybe that pushes contents of the stomach back. Gotcha. Indicating that maybe if you repair a hiatal hernia at the same time. So if somebody has a hiatal hernia we, with a sleeve, right. aggressively repair those to try and keep them from getting reflux. Perfect. Okay. What are some causes, causes of weight regain anatomically? Well, that's uh, another controversial subject because some people have very little change in the appearance of their bypass or their sleeve and still manage to not feel full and gain weight. Oh, wow. So it's not always an uh, anatomic problem. Now, I'm not a proponent of resleeving a sleeve, but there are some people that will make the sleeve smaller. Oh, okay. And uh, there are things you can do anatomically with a gastric bypass if the pouch is enlarged or if the hole between the stomach pouch and what we call the rule limb, the small bowel is large. There are things you can do to make those smaller to try and get somebody to lose weight. I would say that the amount of weight that's lost with the revisionary procedures from a, what we call a pouch procedure for a gastric bypass is not a, a large amount. 
Okay. And potentially get somebody back on track a little bit, but it's generally not a large amount of weight. Converting a, a sleeve to a bypass, people can't really get back on track with that. I think that's a very good procedure. Some people have discussed doing duodenal switches after a sleeve if they haven't lost weight. We haven't started doing that yet, but are strongly considering. So that's an option also. Yes, yeah. Okay. Is there a mindset among patients that, you know, great, I haven't lost weight with this surgery. Maybe if I have revisional surgery, I will do better, you know, switch from like a sleeve to a bypass or, you know, something like, do you see anything like that? Yes, absolutely. Certainly for patients who have not lost enough weight with their primary procedure or who lose it and regain it are good patients for consideration of revisionary surgery. There are some options that may be better than others. So I'm not a big proponent of re-sleeving a sleeve to make it smaller. Correct. Learned that there's an increased leak rate for that. Oh, okay. I do like the idea of converting it to a bypass. I think people will lose a significant amount of weight with that. If people go regain weight after a gastric bypass and you try to revise that, I think there's not maybe as much weight lost with that procedure. Compared to that, okay. So I think that the laparoscopic approach where you make the pouch smaller if the pouch is enlarged and make the hole smaller between the pouch and the small bowel, I think if if the patient's anatomy is right to do that procedure, that's probably the best procedure. The best procedure, okay. So as they prepare for bariatric surgery, they go through like a thorough psychological eval. Uh, Mental health is involved. The nutritionist is involved prior to surgery. That helps in predicting which patients would struggle depending on the evals that you get if they're being cleared for surgery. Do you think that plays a big role with who keeps the weight off after surgery? Do you see red flags as they're getting ready for surgery? Well, we certainly try to predict that because we don't want to take somebody through the risk of surgery with no chance that they're likely to have any gain from it. Correct. Try to predict that. uh, And uh, in particular, with somebody with an uncontrolled psychological problem, we know that's going to be very difficult with the surgery because psychologically the surgery is changes people and that changes how they're going to, to be with their friends and their family members because they're going to have to behave differently to get along with the surgery. And so it's good if they have family members. It's much better if they have at least a family member or a friend who's a proponent of them doing this and can help them. Support, like for support, correct. And then uh, from a nutritional standpoint, we like to try and see them to make some changes nutritionally prior to going to surgery to make sure that they can, that it seems like they can make those changes to make the surgery a success. So after surgery, I mean, I'm sure you tell them, but do patients, you think, go for regular uh, visits with the nutritionist and therapist for follow-up? Well, it's a, I, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, that varies from person to person. We certainly get a lot of people who have had something happen in their lives and they've regained some weight and they come back to get some help to get back on it. Um, I remember when I was looking at my first 100 gastric bypass patients. Mm-hmm very proud of them because my very first 100 of them did actually did very well. And there was they did. Yeah. That. That's awesome. And there was only one that we didn't have one year follow up on. And Oh, wow. Just a little bit away from, from where the auctioner is, which is probably why they didn't come back. So I called them and it turned out they did very well with the weight loss over that year. So I was like, yeah, I know that's good stuff. Yeah. Show up, but in actuality, they all did very did very well. So I think that for that first year, that's not really 
that that can be a problem if they don't lose significant amount of weight during that first year. But in general, losing weight during that first year is is the magic time for the for the surgery to work. And it's after that that the patient has to work harder to keep the weight off. And that's the point where we like to try to intervene as much as possible. And if they don't come back to us, then we don't get that opportunity. Right. And support groups also, how important are they for, for long-term success? I do think, so it's certainly been shown that people who go to support group do better than people who don't go to support group. I, I guess it helps reinforce all of the things that people are, all of us are supposed to be doing right. our way. Uh, and it helps certainly if they don't, if somebody doesn't have quite enough support at home to try and keep going. Uh, and there are many papers that have shown that people who go to support groups do keep the weight off. Uh, when people come back and they tell you, I'm unhappy with my weight loss and I believe, and, and you know, they believe it's not them. It's something to do with the initial procedure. What testing do you send them for before you even think about revisional surgery? Well, there's no doubt that when somebody doesn't lose as much weight as we would like, the surgery has failed them to some extent. It's not right. really, yeah, I don't think blaming the patient is the right way to go about it. We, we don't know how to do a better job. We would like to be able to do a better job. So, right. so then we need to figure out as much as we can why it's failed them. So we look at, we try to get as much as we can out of their diet logs, out of their exercise activity, and so on. And when we uh, think about the surgery, then we've got to think about, is there an anatomic thing that we can change to try and make it better for them? So one of the, one of the best tests really is an upper GI series to see if they're okay. enlarged. Uh, that would be the first thing I would go for. Okay. All right. How do you decide what size bougie is the right way to go and what is it based on? Does it mean faster success with weight loss or does it have anything to do with bougie size weight loss? Uh, bougie size has to do with doing the sleeve gastrectomy. Almost uh, all of us will put a tube down into the stomach as a sizing tube. So okay. You know, cut the sleeve of a shirt if you were making your own shirt at home. <laughs> With, uh, so we put the tube in there and then we divide the stomach along the tube to make sure the stomach we create is not too thin to allow the passage of food. When the sleeve was first done and was part of a two-stage procedure for an operation called the duodenal switch, and the bougie sized use was 60 French, which means two centimeters in diameter. So almost okay. in diameter, which is fairly large. When people started doing the sleeve gastrectomy as a standalone procedure, they were concerned that maybe that was too big. And most people went to smaller sized uh, bougie diameters. And uh, the one that we currently use at the Oxner Clinic is 42 French. Okay. Uh, and that is around 12 millimeters in, in diameter, which is, um, I guess, a little over half an inch, maybe. Okay. At any rate, it, uh, that's the size we use, and uh, that's a fairly small stomach tube. People use uh, sizes down to 36 French, down from 42. Okay. Probably not a very significant difference. If they're in the older papers, it showed that the smaller the bougie that you use, the higher the chance of a leak rate was, and there was no change in weight loss with the different sizes. Okay. I've always stayed with 42. I think that the most common size used in the United States is 38. 38. All right. But 42 has worked for your, you know, for your patients. And that is important. What are some red flags for a patient 
when you when you see them that they that you feel that they're going to have minimal success after bariatric surgery is there something they do or, or say or behave so after bariatric surgery i think the biggest red flag is that they're not you see them at say three months and they're not losing the weight that you're okay so early inadequate weight loss i think is probably the biggest warning sign that we have that somebody is is not able to keep up with what they need to uh, because if they reach that one year mark and they haven't lost a significant amount of weight, they're not going to have that period again to lose weight. Okay, because they have a short window and they need to make best use of it. Okay. Remember, like, you know, there is a big increase in the number of patients undergoing bariatric surgery right now. Weight regain has become a challenge. So what can we do as healthcare professionals to make sure we help them stay on track? Is there anything that we could do better? The most important thing is to try and be the patient advocate for your patient's health. So that when you see a patient who is overweight, to make sure that you acknowledge that and at least give them some ideas for help. Make sure that they know that this is a medical problem that they have to treat. And once they've had surgery, we have to, you know, they've already gone through the effort of having the surgery and the risk of having the surgery. So then we need to doubly reinforce that when we okay. see have the opportunity to see them in clinic. So that's not just us as the surgeons in the weight loss, that's also their PCPs and other doctors. We can, we would like to bring them in, you know, for try at some behavioral therapy, maybe try some medications and, and work, try to work with their, whoever their significant others are to try to get them back on track. Okay. What about iron deficiency anemia? What is your take on that? That's very interesting that we, so we've always been a little bit concerned about vitamin deficiency because of the bypass procedures. We know that some of those patients don't actually absorb vitamins very well and mm -hmm. may become deficient because of that. That can be iron, vitamin D, vitamin B1, vitamin B12, and so on, um, which are the, those are the most common vitamins that we check after surgery. Um, as it turns out, many people are deficient even before surgery. So what we do is we check them before surgery and try to get them on track as much as we can before surgery with those vitamins. Okay. Now, less of a problem to get people back on track after C gastrectomy than a gastro bypass because there isn't as much malabsorption with that procedure. There's, there's no malabsorption after after C gastrectomy. So trying to get them on track as much as possible before surgery is important. But we check them after surgery at two weeks, four weeks, and, and six months. So we do follow them very closely with that. It is quite amazing to me how hard it can be to get somebody to get a normal vitamin D level if they're deficient. It but, is. It's tough, yeah. And similarly with iron. But the iron deficiency is, is rarely a, a significant problem. Yeah, but for the vitamin D, we worry about the, the long-term consequences of osteoporosis if we don't have enough vitamin D. Absolutely. How do you feel about non-steroidal anti-inflammatories <clears throat> like Advil, Aleve, Motrin? Why are they not allowed after bariatric surgery? And what do we do if we have to take it because Tylenol doesn't seem to work as such? So what do you tell your patients? It's a fascinating time in medicine when we're working on uh, what alternative pain medicines that we actually have for people. So the, the non-steroidal medications really is a problem with the gastric bypass primarily okay because the gastric bypass patients are prone to developing ulcers they're very hard to treat once they develop people develop ulcers they have a lot of pain so if they're taking a non-steroidal medication for pain say 
what happens, we tell the gastro, the bypass patients never to take them, but they go to an orthopedic doctor because they've developed some knee pain, and the orthopedic doctor puts them on a medication that they've never heard before, so they don't know that it's a non-steroidal. Non-steroidal, okay, gotcha. Take that, and then they come in with an ulcer, and the ulcers are very painful and also hard to treat because you can't give them non-steroidal. Right. The sleeve gastrectomy patients are not as prone to ulcers, so as long as they are not personally prone to ulcers given, you know, taking non-steroidal medications, then that, then that won't happen. But like anybody else in the country who's on non-steroidal medications, they do have a chance of developing an ulcer. They're, they're at no different risk than anybody else in the country, whereas the gastric bypass are at risk because of the gastric bypass, and they need to stay away from non-steroidals. From that. So uh, what can we give them instead? Well, we do hate giving patients narcotics for more than a week. Uh, but gabapentin is a drug that seems to help out a lot of people. I think that's one that's on the rise in use. Oh, really? Okay, so it's gabapentin, okay. Gabapentin and Tylenol is also very reasonable to use. Of course, we do have to worry about toxic doses, so we've got to tell patients. Okay, toxicity of Tylenol, okay. But I would say those are the, those are the two big ones. Depending on where the pain is, you know, if it's more of a joint type of pain, one could try the uh, lidocaine patches and so on. Uh, one of the brand names is Icy Hot, for instance. I want to advertise the Icy Hot over other brands. <laughs> brands of that, so that can be tried. I, I don't know if these work or not, but there are certainly herbal medications that supposedly help. Okay. Like uh, turmeric, for instance. Yes. So, okay. Try, try that and see if it works. Okay, so someone wants to get pregnant, the female, a female patient. How long do you ask them to wait after bariatric surgery to get pregnant, and why? Well, interestingly, most people who get so we we worry that, especially within that first year, that somebody will not be able to gain enough weight for the pregnancy. The okay, working very well. So I I'd say it's potentially unsafe. I think, though, that the, most of the pregnancies I've heard about during that time have gone okay. But I, I still would, would highly not recommend within the first year. The okay. other problem is that because you're gaining weight during your pregnancy, you potentially are going to get off your bariatric surgery schedule and never get back on it again. So you'll gain the weight through the pregnancy and never lose it. So I would, my, my suggestion to patients is to not get pregnant for two years. Two years? Okay, that's what you would think. Okay. Here, though, is really more of a whether or not it's a dangerous time. And the okay. second year is really to try and reinforce what their new weight is supposed to be so that they can get back to it after their pregnancy. Okay. Weight loss medications. How do you feel about them? Do you think they work for patients who had bariatric surgery as another avenue? My mind has become a lot more open about other methods of weight loss, uh, including multiple different diet programs and things like that. I, I think that, uh, that we do, we certainly do use them as an adjunct bariatric surgery when somebody is off their path and we can get them medications. There are a lot of newer medications that are working in different ways that seem to give you some modest health. They certainly are not generally something that where somebody's going to lose as much weight as a, as, as a bariatric surgery, as I'm sure you know, but to use it for somebody who doesn't need to lose as much weight or somebody who's scared to have surgery or somebody who hasn't lost as much weight as we would like or has a blip of weight regain after bariatric surgery, we do use them all the time. 
Okay. Do you see a lot of people asking for the balloon to be done? I know it's temporary, right? Only for a short period of time. What exactly is a balloon for people who wonder what it is? There are three FDA-approved balloons in the United States. Basically, it's uh, these balloons are are deflated, and we put them down into the stomach and through a tube that goes uh, through the mouth to the balloon. We inflate it. There are uh, one of them that you swallow and gets inflated in the stomach, and several that are placed by doing an endoscopy where somebody is given sedation, and we put an endoscope down the mouth and into the stomach and place the balloon and inflate it under direct vision. My current personal thinking is the one that's placed endoscopically might be a little safer, but we'll see uh, as things progress whether I'm right in that or not. Uh, The balloon, uh, I believe for all the balloons, generally they're FDA approved for six-month placement in the stomach. So basically they fill up the stomach so they make you feel fuller. Okay. And for most of them, at least for the first week period, your stomach for a lot of people, doesn't like having the balloon in there. So Absolutely, I know. We see, we hear about that all the time. During that first week, I don't know what the national numbers are. Uh, we don't do very many balloons here, so I don't know what the national numbers are. Okay, neither do I, but, you know, that's good to know. So what are some final words, Dr. Richardson, on how patients can prevent weight regain after bariatric surgery? I think it's vitally important that patients keep up with their bariatric centers. Uh, One of the most important things is making sure that as a patient, you realize that you're having a problem and facing that that there's an issue and then being willing to try to do something about it. I think going to your weight loss centers and going back, I think the support groups are vitally important. You can go see your, um, you know, you can go see a bariatrician. We have a bariatrician in our center who can help with medications. Oh, nice. Okay. Things that we can do to help out if you can reach out. Uh, I think a lot of it, though, is just getting the support to help to help you through it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on uh, today's episode of Regain Be Gone. I hope you guys make the best use of your day during your weight loss journey. And may Regain Be Gone continue to change your world. This week, I'm offering a limited number of free nutrition consultations to listeners of this podcast. To check in with me and reserve your spot on my calendar, just click on the link below.